0: This is Research Software Engineer Stories coming straight at you from USRSC, the US Research Software Engineer Association. Welcome to RSC Stories. I'm Vanessa Sockett, and joining me today is Kenton McHenry, Associate Director for Software at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. Kenton has expertise in software and cyber infrastructure. Artificial intelligence and wears a ton of hats from being an adjunct assistant professor to a research scientist, obviously in a leadership role. In fact, Kenton and I just saw one another during the Research Software Engineers Community Workshop at PERC 2020, which is a small but growing conference for high performance computing. So Kenton, welcome. Thanks, Vanessa. So your talk is an interesting theme to start with. At this conference, you gave a talk, and I'm going to paraphrase the title because it's pretty long, called Research Software Development and Management in Universities, Case Studies from Insert Three Groups here. That talk or that title kind of hints that you have really good experience in this area of software development and management. Before, though, we talk about the specifics of what you shared in that talk, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, specifically what path did you take to wind up where you are right now?
1: Sure. So uh, I began as a, actually as a research programmer, which is the term we use here for RSEs uh, at the University of Illinois, maybe uh, 11 years ago or so. And I started working uh, with Peter Bacci at the time and his team, and basically we built tools that used computer vision, image processing to do various things for uh, various projects in need, all kinds of different things uh, with an applied computer vision kind of approach. At some point he left and I inherited the group. And I, at that time, kind of, felt the burden of a soft-funded organization in the sense that you always have to look ahead and make sure you still have new projects coming in. And it was around that time that I decided oh, we got to do better with this. And, and so I, I and one of my colleagues, Zhang Lee, basically set forth to kind of do what we can to make things a little bit better. And we sort of went down this path uh, before we even knew what RSEs were to kind of make a body of professional software developments, uh, developers to support science and try to work out stability and career paths and things like that along the way. So it's been a long decade or so down that path, and we could go into some of those details if you want.
0: It's funny. On the level of an academic, I was thinking that the rule is sort of if you're an academic, you will publish or perish. And I guess if you're an RSC group, then you need to establish or perish.
1: <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> Publication is still important, but yeah, there is that other aspect.
0: So let's discuss some points in your talk because I really enjoyed it. Research software development and management is a hugely changing landscape, and I'm wondering if you can share some of your wisdom. First, maybe you can tell us some best practices for software group management.
1: So I think one of the key things is, I think I mentioned this at the meeting last week, is versatility of of our staff. I think too often in the past, RSC-type folks have been part of just one lab, one domain, perhaps. And, you know, projects will come and, and they'll go over time. And that's, you know, in terms of establishing a career, that makes it difficult. And so at some point, it seems inevitable that something's going to break and you'll have to look for a different kind of lab to work with. And so I would say that what a big aspect of managing a team of RSCs is the ability for folks to have a certain level of core skills that are fairly portable between domains. Obviously, they'll be better at they'll have more knowledge in one domain or another, but having certain level of core skills that can allow them to transfer between projects more easily, between domains more easily. I would say it's been pretty essential in terms of sustainability. I would say that's one aspect of this, of managing an RSC group. A big aspect as well, and I would have to say, and I think this came up too, is uh, with regards to staffing projects in general, hiring, recruitment, retention. We're competing with industry. As uh, so I think we all know, if industry will pay you far more than you will in, they will in academia. And so I forgot who said that. Was it Dan cats or you, who was basically in industry you're after money, and in academia you're after I think it was recognition. And so that's a pretty key aspect of the difference, I would say, here is that people usually are more intellectually curious. They want to be part of the design or investigation. They don't want to just be rolling out code kind of things. And so it's still, but the aspect of the pay difference is is a big one. So you always have to kind of emphasize that what the gains are in an academic setting, different kind of lifestyle as well, I would say, you know, there's more holidays, obviously, with an academic lifestyle and so forth and a different kind of schedule. Hiring has been very challenging, especially in in a university setting. For us, they have a system that seems to be set up largely for hiring faculty and students, I would say, and not so much... The professional type folks that we are, we're kind of, you know, half academic, half industry, I would say in in some sense, we're kind of there to not just do research, but actually produce something, produce running code, maintain software and so forth. But there's this deliverable aspect that's kind of central to it. And so it's a little bit different in the sense that being able to compete with industry or hire fast, or if things don't work out, sometimes, you know, letting folks go are things that are not easy to do at all in an academic setting. And it's very challenging sometimes in terms of getting the people you need for projects. So we've done a lot in terms of trying to optimize what we could in terms of hiring and so forth, but it's still a long way from what I think it should be in order to do these kind of things. And basically what happens is if we have a host of projects that come to us as we establish ourselves more and more projects seem to be coming our way, we can't hire fast enough to fill those projects, and so basically, we're not able to support all the demand in terms of the scientific endeavors that need this kind of RSC support, and so that's not a good thing, and so some more work has to be done there. With regards to management, too, I might touch on career paths. That's been a very big thing, too, because there's this mindset that you always want to see growth as these research software engineers, and so that's very much industry thing, I think, is you know every couple of years, you advance to some next level, and so forth, and so forth, and, that was not initially the case, at least here in Illinois, is basically had two levels. You know, you came in as a research programmer, and then at some point, who knows when, you became a senior research programmer, and then we're done. And so that was kind of a dead end. And so that wasn't good in terms of retention either, so not being able to see that growth or if you, you want to kind of boost somebody to keep them longer, it doesn't help. And so at the same time, we also wanted consistency in terms of what it meant to go to that next level you would show certain skill sets. You would have certain capabilities and so forth. And I think I mentioned, you know, during uh, my talk is, you know, that ability to lead a collaboration with a collaborator. Being possibly a co-PI on a project was one of those key skills that was needed as you go up in order to better serve these projects, oversee a team, things like that. So it's one of the skills we highlighted. But we also broke it out into not just two levels, but five different levels. We started a kind of associate, regular, senior lead and then principal level all the way up, kind of emphasizing this aspect of leadership, collaboration building, and overseeing teams and training. And that kind of helps the entire team because then we can bring on new RSCs who maybe are missing a few skills and train them with the senior folks kind of serving that role. I've often kind of seen it as similar to an advisor and their students. You know, the senior RSCs are sort of like the advisors. The newer incoming RSCs, which aren't necessarily always younger folks, but maybe folks from industry who don't have that academic aspect to, you know, as we talked about before, is how to work with collaborators, how to be okay with trying something out and throwing it away again and again and again. And just working with the team the labs and students to develop what needs to be done, something that's actually useful for the particular project they're working on.
0: It's really interesting hearing you talk because your group, at least from my perspective, is much further along than most institutions groups that don't even have, you know, intro level and then senior and then you're done.
1: Yeah. Well, I gathered that, and like I mentioned this, I was so glad when I encountered the RSC community because I only encountered it, I think, three or four years ago. And I've been doing this for the past decade out of necessity because I was one of these people. And I, I wanted a career, <laughs> I enjoy software development. I love it. And I am an academic. I love being, you know, part of research. And so I wanted to keep going and doing that kind of thing, but there was nothing in place for that. And it was clear that as we were talking about how do you establish these things, Somebody's just got to say, I'm going to be the one to help establish this thing. And so, yeah, we've been down that road and I was really happy to hear about the RSC community because, and I think this is a common thing that for people who seem to get into the RSC world is to realize they're not alone. There's actually a lot of folks out there in a similar boat. Software development is critical to science these days. So there's a lot of us out there that just need to kind of come together and figure these aspects out to kind of establish these uh, career paths and so forth.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely a really great recruiting pool. There's a lot of people that are now in you know PhD programs and they're answering scientific questions, but sort of on the sides are like, you know, I really love just building things generally and I don't really see myself going into the traditional academic path, but I love being an academic and I want to help in some way. From what I can tell, that seems like the best pool to hire from. But given how hard it is to hire and this huge long tail of science, I can very easily imagine the scenario happening where Someone needs help with a project and you just don't have the experience on your team to help them. So, of course, you could find someone that is on your team and say, hey, you got to, you know, jump into this new scientific domain and learn a bit. But one thing that I think about a lot is how can research software engineering institutions be more like open source in the sense that you have institutions collaborating together, working across institutions, basically sharing the research software engineers as resources. Is this something that you've thought about or have ideas about? I think we
1: kind of do in the sense that, you know, our projects are not just local to Illinois. They're national and, you know, usually NSF efforts are the ones we work on, NIST and other things, but they have collaborators throughout. And so in some sense, we are kind of working with different universities to support their research needs. It's, you know, it's so distributed science anyway. So to some regard, I think we are doing that. I think you're getting at a more sophisticated uh, approach to this, that a different university just approaches us with an effort and we just uh, want to staff it. But we're not there yet. Usually there's some sort of connection in terms of a local collaborator or, or us as the collaborator. You know, we serve as co-PIs on projects as well and, and we'll bring projects together as well. So there is that aspect of it. I really would like to see it in the sense that you know we are this shared resource across campus and beyond. We're working slowly towards that. And I think we've gone actually a long way. I remember initially receiving a lot of pushback in the sense of a professional software developer, software engineer, let's just go say it right, research software engineer, it costing too much. You know, I often tell my staff is, you know, that's one of the caveats we have to work with is that we each cost maybe three to four times as much as a grad student. And for many researchers, one grad student's a big deal. That's a big project. And we're costing three or four times that, one of us. And so we have to bear that in mind in terms of the value add that we bring to the table. And I, and I have to say over the years at workshops and other venues, I've been hearing researchers say it no, this is not for a student. This is for a research program or something. So these RSE type folks, and that happens more and more, but the value is being perceived. And so that's, I think, been a big win in terms of what we're aiming for here.
0: Definitely agree. And I think with the reproducibility crisis, having really solid code that you have more confidence in is another point of evidence for hiring an RSC over you know a grad student that maybe is just learning to program and might make a mistake.
1: One thing I might add to that too, to your other part of your question about serving more efforts and being able to be available for these kind of things, and you don't have the staff at times. One of the things we do is realizing that, yes, that's very much the case. In particular, our lead RSCs tend to be a bit more versatile in terms of their breadth of skills and their breadth of ability to work on different projects. What we'll often do is take a small percentage of one of those lead RSCs or senior RSCs and stick them on a the project, maybe like one month per year kind of level. And another more junior level RSC with them. And so the lead or the senior one kind of serves as the point for the project. They're kind of working with the other RSC and training them and so forth as part of that effort. And so in that light, there's some aspect of that more senior person there. But that senior person is not doing the main work, but it's kind of guiding this other RSC. And through that, there's also this training aspect. They're training other RSC so they themselves can someday become a senior early RSC.
0: That's a really cool idea. And so a group would need to obviously have more than one RC. I guess I have this fantasy of some kind of collaboration clearinghouse where a bunch of different institutions register. And so let's say you have a project and you don't have someone that is a good fit for it. You would register your project on this clearinghouse. And then other institutions would see it and be like, oh, I have someone that can work on that. And then they would basically just sort of like sign up for it. And behind the scenes, all of the work to figure out how to pay them and the policy and the white paper, like all of that would just be taken care of. And that's probably the harder part. Then you could actually have a cross institution collaboration without needing sort of what we have to do now, which is, you know, having co-PIs on a grant and a lot of painful work to actually get that set up.
1: Yeah, that does seem complicated. I think there would be a lot of different ways universities do things. And sub-awards that have to be issued, and I don't know, yeah, I really have to think about it.
0: So one thing you showed in your talk that I thought was super cool, and you touched on a little bit earlier here, is you had this kind of career progression graph for RSEs, And it went from basically being some kind of junior to a principal research software engineer. And I noticed that, and I asked you this question in your talk, that it goes from this transition into being in a more managerial position. So the question that I asked you for the talk was, is this in fact one track or do you see there being an engineer and then a separate manager track? And then maybe this representation is just an artifact that the groups are just starting out.
1: Yeah, so this has come up many times but amongst our staff. I made a joke with myself even. Is I like programming. You know, I would love to have stayed in the technical side of things versus the managerial side of things. And that comes up a lot. It's, you know, folks have their passions. And many of them in this field are on the technical side. They want to keep that area going. But at the same time, and I think that the main aspect is just the economics of the situation is we can't really afford at the moment anyway to split out management aspects from the technical aspects. We can't have a managerial and a technical folks and make all the budgets balance out. So we tend to just put the management aspects on the more senior technical folks. It is a problem, and I don't know an answer to it at the moment. I think this is an aspect where institutional support would be critical. I don't see how you can effectively, at least for small, mid-sized grants, charge management to a grant. And so the institution would kind of have to bear the brunt of that with the realization it's kind of an investment in having this RSC body but it's not quite there yet. So what we do is, yeah, we impose management aspects on our folks as they advance along the lines out of necessity, but yeah, it's not ideal. We keep discussing what we can do about that and we don't have an answer yet.
0: (laughs) It's still a really good start. And have you considered sharing this graph with the larger community and then starting to develop training materials or something along those lines so that other institutions can follow suit?
1: Yeah, so we published it as part of that paper that I was presenting off of. It's it's shown there. And I think it's made its way into other venues as well. One recent one is I've been working with our campus to basically kind of standardize all the IT jobs across campus and it's come up there as well as a kind of an example. So it is available and I'm happy to share it and I'm always happy to talk about it. The career path would be good at some point as well if we all had the same path of advancement as well.
0: Yeah, it'd be really cool to have an RSC career ladder across different institutions. So I was looking at some old blog posts, and I remember that you wrote an article with Dan Katz about being a super RSC. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Are are there capes involved here?
1: (laughs) No, I was worried about that name, but we couldn't think of anything better. It sounded a little pretentious, but. The idea was a super set of skills versus super being. The idea was there's that famous plot by Simon Hetrick, I believe it was, where it shows on one side, industry software engineers, and on the other side, research developers. And where RRCs fall is somewhere in the middle. There was one aspect that I thought was missing in particular to how we kind of formed our team here at Illinois, and there was sort of a third dimension to it. And so that's what I was trying to emphasize, this superset of skills. And that is basically, it's, it's not always the same third dimension kind of popping out of there, but some other value add that's kind of brought on, whether it be, I'm a computer scientist, so I like to try to have innovative technologies when I develop things, you know, a new way of doing things, a new piece of software and so forth, something that's different somehow. And so that would be one dimension, I would say. So basically not just meeting the demands at hand, but doing something beyond that, something more innovative, something that could maybe someday change the world would be great. But other aspects as well, something that's seeing generality in the code versus something that's very specific to the specific problem at hand. Aspects like that lend themselves towards longevity, sustainability of the code. If it's more general, for example, it can meet the needs of multiple domains, multiple projects, and maybe live longer. And in that, once the initial project ends, which they always do, still be maintained and continue on, maintained by other projects that are benefiting from it at that point. So that's kind of what we were trying to highlight is that third dimension is not just software best practices not just domain-specific activities, but also this third dimension with regards to innovation and sustainability, generality, and so forth as being a key factor in terms of what we bring to the table. So you, you come to us and hopefully what's built lives while well and can be leveraged for a longer period of time.
0: So having this third dimension and also wearing many different hats, how has the way that you kind of view yourself changed over time?
1: Like I said, as I never saw myself getting into management, my passion has always been on the technology side of things. Uh, And so that's really changed. I did this again out of necessity, I felt. I wanted to have a a career. So that's really changed in terms of where I saw myself in the future when I started out. I think I've done pretty well. I actually think I'm pretty good at it, but it's not what I pictured.
0: (laughs) Given all the different hats that you wear again, how do you manage your time?
1: That is tricky. I think it's a pretty academic in nature to be involved in a great number of things. That's probably part of establish in your establish or perish example. <laughs> and so that could be very tricky. There's a lot of multitasking and a lot of going between efforts. One of the things that I actually goes back to that third dimension, when I first started managing and taking over the group from Peter Badgie, that fell on me right away in terms of there's a lot of different aspects that I have to keep tabs on and get on top of. And that was one of the things that I think I felt I had to address first. And so that's where I got to this mindset of I need to line things up. So it's not 12 different things. It's maybe three different things in the sense that maybe there's 12 different projects, but they're all working on, you know, a subset of them are working on the same thing, basically. And I think that's where we got down this road of, well, it was there beforehand, but I think it's where we kind of started formalizing it is of building frameworks. It's not, we're not going to build one-off pieces of code, but build technology frameworks that we can adapt and extend and customize as needed for given projects. So that basically I'm not involved in all these dozens of things. Basically, you know, there's just a smaller number of things to keep tabs on. And at the same time, you know, whenever I spend energy on, on one of these things, it's multiple efforts that are benefiting from it. So I think that's been a key aspect in terms of time management. And I think with all of us in academia, stuff still does fall off the plate. <laughs> that's just the nature of it, unfortunately. But yeah, I think that's one of the main ways.
0: Are there any projects, open-source software that you care especially about?
1: I care for them all. I think certain ones have gotten more traction over time just because they've met more needs across different communities. Again, my background is in AI and computer vision, so I'm always interested in leveraging those kind of technologies. Even before they were cool, I was interested in that. I remember... Back in the day before a, the, kind of the machine learning revolution kind of happened with deep learning and so forth, you know, I was trying to use it in frameworks to kind of annotate documents or find features and images and things like that it was hard to sell the whole machine learning thing and why it was useful and so forth. And I think I ended up actually changing the way I pitched it. I would say it's something like auto curation. So from the library world, there's this idea of curation where you basically are annotating and cleaning up and organizing your data. And so I started using the term auto curation for what we were doing with machine learning. And then of course, you know, the whole AI thing happened and now everybody does AI. And so (laughs) it was kind of funny as we've been using it in our software for years, but only now is it cool. So we have some like Clouder framework as a data management a framework for basically organizing your data. On the surface, it looks like Dropbox, or like so many of these technologies do. But under the hood, it's using these AI tools so that when data gets uploaded into it, it's trying to auto-categorize it. It's extracting metadata based on these analytics behind the scenes. Things like that are what I like, but just to kind of brings together my background as well from my grad days.
0: Anyway, so we're coming up on time. I just had a few more questions. What niche or interesting thing can you tell us about Illinois that possibly (laughs) others don't know?
1: Well, I live in central Illinois. About the area, the University of Illinois is actually, in fact, the town of Urbanish and Champaign are are kind of unique. There's been a lot of big things that have come out of this place. I mean, you look at the area, it's just a bunch of cornfields. And that's the first thing you notice when you get here. I remember when I first arrived, I would get lost and I'd end up in a cornfield. That happened quite a few times. But actually, it's surprising that a lot of innovative things have come out of the University of Illinois. The browser is one of them, Mosaic, went on to become Netscape and Internet Explorer and so forth. Several pieces of the internet, HTTPD, Telnet, things like that. I think Plasma TVs came out of here. The first standing dome came out of here. So that was one of the strange things. It goes on and on. How many things have come out of this university? It's a large prestigious university, but in the middle of a cornfield.
0: That's interesting. So why do you think that that area hasn't developed in the same way that Silicon Valley has? Because arguably, if you're doing all that tech development there then companies would start to go there to get all the grads, and then they'd slowly build up. Yeah, you
1: know, I'm going to guess because we don't have an ocean. (laughs) Folks do end up going to Silicon Valley or some coast somewhere. That's my guess.
0: Yeah, that would make sense. I have no idea either. I was just curious. So finally, when you're not working, what do you like to do in your free time?
1: It depends. I don't know. These days, we're sheltering in place and so forth. I find that I spend most of my free time with my kids. My son and daughter are both big fans of Minecraft. And so we set up a Minecraft server and I play a lot of Minecraft with them. that's what I find most of my free time doing.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, I I used to play a lot of World of Warcraft with my mom.
1: My dad wasn't
0: so much into computer games, but my mom was a huge gamer. Still, I should not say was. My mom is (laughs) is still a huge gamer.
1: (laughs) Yep, World of Warcraft. That was a good one too.
0: So Kenton, it was really great chatting with you. I think your experience in management and development of software is really admirable because it is a lot of hard work and it is challenging. It really is trying to establish or perish. And I think you're doing a great job and to keep it up. And I think we'll both see, hopefully, much better changes in this research software engineering landscape in the future, especially now that USRC is really...
1: And I think so. I mean, I see there's so many of us out there and we're all the same mindset. And there is this demand. Science needs software and data both these days so there's a need there and we're part of it
0: Amen well thanks so much thanks for being on RC stories
1: thanks for different.